Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of The Greatest Machine. We interviewed Ron Carson. What an amazing episode. Talking about how Ron built his, his... This guy built one of the largest wealth management businesses in the country. And just, I mean, an amazing, amazing bootstrap story. Great conversation. We talk about his journey of building the business and how he did it. Really starting from nothing. His upbringing, really humble beginnings, as well as what he's doing now. You know, really becoming an an enlightened leader and, and, and how he's gotten there. So uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Really an amazing conversation. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Manchazza. And boy, do we have a special guest. My man, Ron Omani Carson is in the house. What's up, Ron? Hey, it's hey. great to be here, Darius. Oh, man, I'm so pumped to have you here. Um, so do you mind here at The Greatness Machine? I like to do a little bit of housekeeping. We've got a lot of new listeners every week. Uh, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and we'll get started? Yeah. Shoot. Shoot. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And my man, Ron Omani, is neither short of passion nor greatness. Um, so first and foremost, um, before I tell about, about how I, why I asked Ron to be on the show, you know, uh, we had a little bit of pre-show conversation around your name. It's Ron Omani Carson. Do you prefer Ron or Omani or like Mr. Carson? <laughs> Give me the lowdown. <laughs> okay. This is, so I changed it on social media a few years ago and I had lots of questions around that. And as you hear my story, Darius, um, there was the zero to 50 and then there's 50 and beyond. And I really found um, spirituality and in that work and doing some coaching, I was, I was doing some work with um, the Lakota tribe. And as a way of showing their appreciation for the work I had done with and for their, their tribe, they bestowed, inducted me into their tribe and gave me a name, which is Tate Omani, which means walking into a stiff wind. And I shortened it Omani. So tons of grace. Uh, if people want to call me Ron, that's fine. All my new friends call me Omani. Anybody in that space knows me only as Omani. Uh, so I'm, I'm cool either way. All right, Omani, it is. We're going. All right. There. All right. So, um, Omani, um, this is, I, I, we were talking before the show. So, so we invited Omani to be on the show because I'm new, as the audience knows. Anyone who's listening to the show knows that I've, you know, I've gone headfirst into the wealth management space. And, you know, what most people don't know about the wealth management space that I've learned, this is at least my perception, is that there's like, there's this like small set of rock stars in the space. 
Uh, Joe Duran, my partner, I would consider him one of them. Ron's one of them. Excuse me, Omani is one of them. Uh, you know, you have Peter Maluk. There's a, there's this like small group of these godfathers, god you know people of the space. And Ron's name, and, and you know who they are because you hear their names come up constantly. And and uh, Omani's name comes up constantly. It's like every time I'm talking to someone, they're like, oh yeah, we were talking to the Cars Group. Oh yeah, we we're talking. The, the, and in and in the space, they they call you Ron. That that's what you're known as. So yeah. So like, oh yeah, I was, I, I was talking to Ron and Ron and you know Ron tried to buy my company and <laughs> I had a conversation. With Ron, it's always Ron tried to buy my company. By the way, that, that's what comes up all the time. So so uh, so, but I hear so many great things. And one of the first conversations I had was with one of my business partners, Dan Newhall. And when we were talking about starting Rise Growth Partners, he's like, we were talking about coaching entrepreneurs, and he said, oh yeah, that's the Carson, you know, the Carson Group. That's what they do. So it's the very first time I heard your company, but I'd heard just amazing things about it. And so as I started to get deeper and deeper in the space and, and over the past year, I was like, you know, I should really, we got these, these, these God folks of the space, these God people of the space. I should, you know, I should get to know some of them. And, you know, I really want to learn their stories because this is where I'm spending my time now. And so uh, top of my list was Omani. I, I hit him up and amongst a few other folks. And uh, here we are, man. I'm so pumped to have you here to tell your story. So thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for asking me. It's um, I, I, I love doing these kinds of things. And I love listening. I'm a consumer of podcasts and material. And I think like you, we've only met for a few minutes, but you're a lifelong learner. And you know, I view my whole life as a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it, getting rid of the old useless out-of-date information and replenishing it with new, fresh ideas. And so thank you for having me. And, and I really look forward to our time together. Definitely. Omani, do you mind if I do a little bit of uh, the formal bio, just for folks that are sure. less familiar with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Omani here is the CEO and founder of the Carson Group. They've, they currently help 49,000 families. They manage over $33 billion in assets under management, which is no small feat. He's grown the firm to become an industry innovator, an influencer, and the leader of now 350-person firm. Um, they are literally one of the best firms in the wealth management space. He started it in his dorm room in 1983, so over 40 years ago. We can say that now. It's over 40 years since, uh, since his 2024 as of today. And he believes in advising for life's purpose, um, recognized as a top financial firm, authored best-selling books, and contributes to major publications like Forbes and Bloomberg. Now, everyone that's listening to this is like, okay... This guy's a fucking stud. You know, he's 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 made it. But as I always say, like most of our guests, you know, making it and is not where you start. You know, you know, humble beginnings in the dorm room. Would love Omani if you could give us some of your origin story. And I forget for I forgive me, I didn't tell you. I go I get a little R-rated sometimes with, with oh, my potty no, mouth. Yeah, <laughs> I I got a funny story on that too. But yeah, I uh you know in it's so funny you say that, like, as I'm listening to you say, make it before I even give you some of the run up, I just want to t touch on that because I had, you know, my life, I'm 59 years old. I turned 60, August 28th of 24. And I, in spite of all the outward appearances, I felt like a failure uh, up until about the age of 50. I mean, I had had tremendous financial success, but I had no purpose, no joy. Um, and as I and as I get to poking around, I realize there's a lot of super successful people out there. I think what drives us is this fear and scarcity operating system, which when I tell you the story, you'll get why. Until I can move to love and abundance and really start to feel deep, deep purpose in my life, that's when I felt like I really arrived. And it didn't had nothing to do with the financial success. It had to do with you know, r really loving myself and loving what I meant and what I showed up and how I was showing up for me and for, for people around me. The story is this. I grew up um, an hour north of Omaha, Nebraska on a farm, and we were farmers. And when, in 1982, I thought I was going to take over the family farm. In 1982, interest rates were 21.5%. My dad, my parents went broke, like pretty much every other farmer did. And my father, uh, only time I ever, first and only time I ever seen him cry when he told me that he couldn't even support our family, he was going to have to find something else to do. And 
you know, when you think you just know what's going to happen, it really rocked my world. I was like, wow. And plus seeing my hard-ass dad cry for the first time, it scared me. And I remember reading Money Magazine, and it talked about top professions of the future. And right at the top of the list was become a CFP. I didn't even know what it was. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. And so I decided to become, I went down to Nebraska to play football and was injured my first year. And that's why I started out of my college dorm room. Um, and I'd love to tell people I did all this research or, you know, I didn't. I just, I thought that sounded interesting. I always had an interest in money. My parents had almost gone broke prior to that. So it seemed like our family could use someone in the family that knew something about, you know, financial discipline. And by the way, a footnote to that story is Addison, I was in Napa Valley at the wine auction um, a few years ago, and a lady friend, uh, Jessica Biblowitz, her dad was Sandy Wild, who ultimately started really what became Citigroup. And we had known because she tried to buy my company <laughs> at one point. And so she introduces me. I didn't even know she was going to be there. And she's like, hey, meet my friend. This is Ron. He's from Omaha. Here's what I do. And the lady says, well, how'd you get in the profession? I told her the story. She has a weird smile on her face. And she goes, I was at Money Magazine. I wrote that article. No and I'm way. Like, oh, wow. Then I, I do owe you my entire profession. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here. And I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you. They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. From canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. What is, let me ask you a question. So, um... So your family, you come from a farming background. What did your what what type? What did you guys farm? Corn, soybeans, alfalfa, popcorn occasionally, and we raise cattle. 
Did and did were you? I, I got this is a stupid question. I'm gonna ask it just for the hell of it, but I got to assume like you were you were working on the farm as a kid, like growing uh-huh. up. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I or like did you work out? Because listen, we worked out every freaking day. There was yeah. no the gym to work out. <laughs> so I was so you'll appreciate this. I was a, a wrestler in college and um, I wrestled D one and I went to a wrestling camp in Minnesota. And now, 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 unlike yourself who grew up working on a farm, I grew up working at my dad's gas station in California and, um, and two very different types of work, by the way, like, like, I mean, both are hard work in their own way. One is one to your point, you're working out the other one, you're just cleaning and, you know, changing tires and shit. And so I go to this, I'm 16. I'm kind of soft, you know, cause I haven't been bailing hay and working on a farm since I was eight or nine or however, I'm sure you were really young when you started. How old were you, by the way, when you first started having to do hard labor on the farm? You know, my dad would probably debate this, but my, um, I would say it was probably at 10 years of age, by the way, I can remember driving a combine through town that was so wide that I had to get way over to pass cars. And we, my dad threw my sister and I right into the, the mix early. I'd say from 10 on, we were working a lot. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's pretty normal. Like most of my friends who grew up in agriculture, like they were working at, you know, t- 10s when I, I think like 10 is like in prior to like child labor, like that was when like kids, <laughs> kids went to work. I'm right. Dude, when I was 10 was when my dad put me to work. He was like, all right, yeah. man. Like, and I look at my 10 year old, I'm like, yeah, if I had, I'd give go put that kid to work, you know? <laughs> and so, so, so you're 10 years old and you're working on the farm. Now, myself, my first exposure to this was when I went to Minnesota for wrestling camp. And all the kids, tons of kids from Midwest, all Midwestern kids, bunch of farm kids, and they're rock solid. I mean, these kids are freaking yeah. buff, strong. They gr- they grab you. Their grip is like like yeah. like hurts you, you know. And I was like, oh sh- shit, <laughs> there's there's these kids have farm muscle. I- they just beat the hell out. I spent one month in Minnesota just getting my ass kicked by farm kids. Um, so, so you know, when, growing up in 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 an agricultural community with your parents as a farmer, you know, uh, you know, and seeing that hardship, you know, when you started the business in your dorm room, I, obviously you had a good work ethic. But I mean, that's pretty unusual to be, have started in, as an independent in 1983. I mean, like. Tell us a little bit about that, because like that was like like even now we're still in early days of the RIA space cons- compared to other industries. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, yeah, I'm going to start my own uh, you know wealth management business when you're in your early 20s. That's that's kind of crazy. Tell us yeah, about that. well, and I would say starting a, a wealth management business is a stretch. So the, the, the way it actually started is someone said, Ron, you can make a lot of money selling life insurance. Um, and so there was a company by the name of. Um, You've heard of Amoco or Standard Oil became Amoco, which then they started an insurance company called Amoco Life. And it was a new kind of insurance called Universal Life was coming out, replacing whole life. And you can make all this money selling insurance. And so I knew nothing about it, but I did know farming. And so I could call, I would cold call out of a phone book and go out and see farmers and talk to them about this insurance because they all had insurance. A lot of them had all whole life. And so I did that for like six months. I did not like selling insurance. It's like, this is not, I'm trying to sell something to someone whether they need it or not. And then after that, uh, because I had no experience, and like you said, no one would hire me. um, I had to, I I found somebody that would sponsor me. And it was a small company out of um, uh, uh, Minnesota called State Bond, itty bitty bitty broker dealer. And th- they were a mom pa shop, and uh, and they sponsored me to get my securities license, which was my Series Six at the time. And I just ground it out, just literally. My my wife and I are still together to this day. We were dating then. We've been together for since we were seventeen years of age. And she, we were talking about this over the weekend. She would sit in the, my dorm room and make f- faces at me, try to make me laugh while I was doing it because I was so disciplined. I would not. We wouldn't do anything until I had as many appointments as I could handle with whatever my class schedule was the next day. Wow. So were you, and what was your product? What was the main product you were selling through, through, the, through these guys? Mutual funds. Mutual funds. 
That's how I started. I started selling life insurance and I moved to mutual funds. And then after that, I got what was known as a Series 22 direct participation. Then I got my commodities license. Then I got my Series 7. And then I got my principal's license. Um, and so I just continued to get everything I could. And then eventually, I brought in a few additional advisors. I taught them. I, one thing I was good at early on was motivation. I could motivate people. I still can. I think mean, it's one of my superpowers. And I was consumed, whether it was Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Jim Rohn, Tom Peters, and I couldn't get enough of this stuff. And so I could teach other people. I could see potential in people that they couldn't see it in themselves. And, uh, and so we, and we were selling product in those days. Our, our profession, thank God, has evolved into a professional profession where people are really discriminate against just a salesman, which I was, versus a really strong technical person. And here's a secret for everybody listening to this podcast, and this would be good for you to know too, since you're newer to the space, is the best salespeople have the most assets. And the best technical people, like the attorneys, the CPAs, the people that are really good at planning, or that this used to be the case, technically the strongest, they don't have any of the assets, but they provide the most value. And what I realized early on is what if I could bring the best storytellers and salespeople that their ego would allow them to say, I'm not good at this technical stuff. Mm. And let's combine that with the strongest technical people we can on the planet. And what kind of business could we build around that? And we give them best technology. We truly put the consumer on the same side. And that's what Carson Group has become today, taking great storytellers and salespeople, mixing them with the strongest technical people we can find to join. I love that, man. So there's, um, you just reminded me of, um, I think this may have came out of universe, the strength finders, right? So Gallup strength finders, um, uh, Dr. Oh gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. I'm, I'm like a mass, <laughs> I'm a massive strength finders guy. Um, I'll remember it. But anyway, I think I thought it came out of university of Nebraska actually. Um, and so They're right here, I mean, Gallup is right down the road. Yeah. From yeah, here, yeah. Right? No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right on this. And so, um, and so, yeah, so the, so the, so, uh, Dr. Clifton, excuse me. Clifton, the university, yes. Yeah. Clifton out of university of Nebraska strength finders. Like what I just heard you say was a strength finder statement, which is essentially pairing people, getting people to work in their sweet, in their strengths, right. To work in their sweet spots and having them collaborate with others whose strengths essentially are synergistic, right? Mm -hmm. Getting folks who are those great planners, great financial analytical folks who aren't necessarily the influencers who are going to get, you know, the, you know, the lady down the street to, to invest her money because like, yeah, the, like the introvert's not going to like tell the story well enough to get them to feel comfortable, right? They're not getting those around them to feel like they're part of something greater than themselves. So it really sounds like that was that something that came natural to you to say, hey, I'm going to, you know, get people to work in their genius, but make them collaborate to build something special. To walk us through that a little it, bit. It came, it came later. It probably, it really hit me um, after the dot-com meltdown. So from 1983, really through 2000, I was doing it the way everybody else was doing it. But I just had this nagging thing that bothered me and knew it could and should be done at a much, much higher level than it had been done. I feel Financial services, by and large, for many years, I don't feel it's the case today at all, but I think it was a case the first 20 years of my profession is we overcharged and underdelivered. I mean, the reality was if someone was hiring me, I, I had my CFP, but beyond that, they were paying me to guess, right? It was, you know, we were influenced by wholesalers and people coming through and whatever the hot topic was, and we were chasing that stuff like everybody else was. Today, like the analytics and the, the the amount of value that can be created from a deep planning team, like the, the biggest bargain on the planet, what you get, and I don't believe in paying fees. I don't want anybody to pay a fee. No, you don't want to pay a fee. I don't want to pay a fee, but I'm willing to make an investment in my, in my future, especially if that investment is infinitesimal compared to the enormous value that I'm receiving. And in my mind, I have no question about the value I'm getting versus the investment I'm making. That's where we've evolved to. And it was, and once I, I brought a whole group to Omaha to say, you know, here's this, and I wrote about it in one of my first books, I call it the seamless practice service model. What if we had a model 
that was seamless, easy for you to operate within as a consumer and an advisor. It's proactive because we're doing and thinking about things you're not thinking about. And what if we can demonstrate, oh, you got kids going to college, you need a medical power of attorney. No one's doing, really was doing that kind of stuff. And it'd be a service that was so powerful that you constantly were surprised and delighted by the people were thinking about things and doing things on your behalf they weren't even thinking about. Mm. And that model has proved out to be really powerful because the best storytellers are like, when they'll admit to me in private, and they, they would admit it publicly today. But when I first started having this conversation, I said, I'm not a very good advisor when I'm trying to do it all. And, and once they had your trust, I'd say, I'm not either. I said, what if? And I would share this model. Like, oh my God, that'd be great. It's not like, you're not good. You're a, I want you to become a librarian, not a library. A librarian of where to get the information, not a library, has to store it. A librarian can find and access anything they need. And that's really the ecosystem that we've developed you know, at, at the Carson Group. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So that's so interesting what you just said. So there's um there's a word in Japanese, omotenashi, omotenashi, which is it means wholeheartedly looking after guests. And so like like there's have you ever heard of this before? Yeah, I, I, yeah. So you're I actually had to look up the word really quickly. But my my wife's aunt, who's a really like a profound person in the food world and in the f- world of like food and wine hospitality, she she worked for there's a movie um, with uh, Bill um, shoot. Uh, uh, it's, a ja- it's a Japanese movie. Gosh, I'm forgetting it right now. Anyway, I'm today. I'm having one of those days. I'm I'm, I'm a little slow coming back from the new year. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was Sofia Coppola's movie um, with um, Gosh Bill Bill Murray, um, and it's it's it takes place in Japan, right? Where he's like this like actor in Japan, but um, it's at this really famous hotel in Tokyo. And my wife's aunt, when she was she went to went Middlebury College in uh, in uh, New England graduated and moved to Japan because she spoke Japanese and she was taught that omotenashi at this hotel, which was how do you provide for your guests what they want before they know they want it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. I heard you just say that with your business. And I was like, you know, I, I really do believe there's an art form around that. And, and when we start talking about service orientation and most importantly, why do you, why would you do this? I think there's a couple of reasons for me when I look at business or think of the way I've built my businesses, it's around creating value, right? How can I create value for my client so that they have an experience that is unmatched to a commoditized world that we live in, right? A commoditized business. If you look at wealth management, right? As an example, or my former business, mortgage lending and servicing, more, more or less kind of commoditized, right? Like there's little things you can do to make them different, but how can I quantify that from the perspective of caring. So when you think of your businesses or when you think of the, of the Carson group, was it, was that something where you're like, Hey, I'm just trying to create a differentiator. Or did it come from a deeper place of values, purpose? Like tell us a little bit about that. It, but, and I want to mention Steve jobs because you know, the iPhone, we didn't know we wanted it. I mean, and he like, until we had it. And that's a great example of not knowing what we want. No, it really came from this deep knowing that it wasn't being done in our profession, but it could be really powerful it was, and to deliver a lot more value than we were delivering to the consumer. That's really where this born out of. I mean, how could we truly sit on the same side of the table as the people that were that were serving? And I view myself as a servant leader, you know, to my I'm, I believe in conscious capitalism um, yeah. and John Mackey, who founded Whole Foods, I'm part of his group. They have an amazing, anybody listening to this is interested. They have an amazing conference every fall in Austin, Texas. 
And you know, I really believe that that there's three constituents. There's the consumer that we serve, but then there's the internal stakeholders. Some people call them employees or staff. At Carson, we call them internal stakeholders. They need to get an equal share, and then the share owner needs to get an equal share, but it really needs to be spread between all three. I had this deep, nagging feeling. It's like it's really being shared, even on the internal stakeholder side. Almost all the benefits go into a few people at the top, and, and, and a big portion of it relative to the cost of the service is going to the share owner, and others are being kind of left out. And so this is this this belief in this conscious capitalism model is is the most powerful model. And ironically, it is also the best for business, because when you when you share the benefit equally, people want to do business with you. People want to work with you. People will stay with you. I've got someone tomorrow celebrating their 25th anniversary with me. And in another week, we'll have someone celebrate 32 year anniversary, you know, at Carson. And we have some people that have never interviewed for a draw, job there. They've interned and they've been there their entire life. Wow. And I love that. Um, that's amazing, man. So you're talking to a fellow conscious capitalist. Um, I graduated, There's a program out of Dallas called Stagen. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. Not. Um, but John, so John Mackey sent, is, uh, he sits on the board of conscious capitalism with Rand Stagen, who started this conscious capitalist institution out of Dallas. And so every single, so Jason Buchel, who's currently the CEO of, of, uh, of, uh, Whole Foods was actually in my class at Stegen. It was the, mm. the entire, yeah. So, so I'm, they're very, it's, it's a very good, it's a, it's actually a really cool program. Uh, and so Rand, who's a former guest on the show, we'll, we'll appreciate unplugging him right now, but, but yeah, uh, for organizations who want to train their folks in conscious capitalism, it's a one year intensive program on training conscious capitalism. So and by the way, they, they have a, if you come, you come to a half day orientation on just a history of capitalism. Yeah. It is absolutely fascinating. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know where it started, how it started, and the importance of what capitalism has done for humanity, period, all around the world. And oh, it's, it's, it's uh, crazy. It's really crazy. It's really fun to yeah, dig into. The last, I'd say, like 20% of the book, Sapiens, there's an entire, I don't know if you read that book or not, but it gives the full yeah. history of capital. And you're like, it, it was like, basically they're like, yeah, it, it, like the best, like the capitalism, there's parts of capitalism where it was like going to war was capitalism, right? Cause, cause like the amount of GDP you could extract from another nation it was cheaper to do it through force than by, you know, uh, through peace. Right now it's too expensive to do that. But, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love this idea of stakeholder capitalism and the fact that you guys are doing that at Carson is just a testament to a, you being a servant leader and B, building building a, a business that could withstand the test of time, right? And this idea of long-termism and, and looking out for for the consumer and your internal stakeholders. And even the, to use the example, I mean, I don't you know if people fully appreciate what you just said. Someone to, to, for someone to never apply for a job and to be at your organization and that's just all they know, or for someone to work for you for 32 years, that's insanity. I mean, the average amount of people, time people work at jobs these days, it's under a couple years. You know, and so I think that's just a testament to building building an organization that people feel a part of. There's something greater than themselves. Do you feel like that's something you being like a servant leader? Is that just something that like you were born with? Is that something you were taught? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So just the opposite. So my dad, um, by the way, when when I do an interview, I used to tell people, I want you to think of this job as a life sentence in a positive way. <laughs> I want to make it so good that you never want to go anywhere else. And let's work on this together. And if you're not happy and come to me and we'll see if we can talk about what or it'll be a safe place. I'll support you while you look for another place to go. It's so many, we have such a big we, we call it our boomerang group. People leave because they feel like it must be better out there or could be better and they come back. And it's sometimes they're the best as well. And we have a good cross section. No, just the opposite. My dad um, was someone who grew up as the world was out to get him. Everybody was out to fuck him over. Uh, he still believes that to this day. And I'm also a big believer. And you get you get what you believe. Like if you believe that, you attract those kind of people. If you believe in love and abundance, you, tr you attract those kind of people. Law of attraction and the secret is alive and well. And I'm living, I can see living examples of that. It really came out of my own um, aha 
around one of my mentors. Um, his name's Howard Hawks. He's a self-made billionaire right out of Omaha here. And he, he and I sat on a couple of boards with him and I said, what made you so successful, Howard? And he says, you know what? I found the best people I could and I got the hell out of their way hmm. and I really took care of them. And that really got me to thinking, you know, because I was on the opposite end, like my father early on in those first years. Um, I would say there's pre-2000 and post-2000, so Y2K, right? And uh, I would try to get people and get a bargain. And there's this is the other really powerful life lesson is you never get a bargain on people. The best people are worth everything you can possibly invest in them. And because they deliver so much more than if you feel like you're getting somebody on the mar under the market, or that's a mirage. It never, ever, ever happens. And, and I also realized it's a really fun way to support people that could go out and start their own business and run their own business and compete with you. But they've decided that it's that that it's they have everything they need under the roof. So let's do it together. Let's do it in harmony with one another. It's just a really powerful, fun way to build and run a business. I love that, man. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, you, so you're talking about like this idea of abundance versus scarcity, because I think that's a concept that we hear a lot about in the, you know, in when you're especially as an entrepreneur if you want to get into business or having an abundance mentality you know there's these things that we that are just kind of in the zeitgeist they're out there that we hear a lot about and i think there's one one way is to think about it logically and to understand it and another is to really i guess emotionally get it for you especially sounds like you grew up in an environment and 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 I get it right I think coming from agricultural boom bust you have these seasons when things don't grow or you know you have these bad yeah. seasons which is totally common in that industry man you you kind of see that the the world is not easy right and I don't think the world is necessarily an easy place um I was talking to my wife's aunt about this uh, this conversation the other day uh when I was in Napa and I said you know you know, I, I can't control anything about how people feel, but I can control how I react to it, you know, right? Which is kind of that same idea mm -hmm. of, of this abundance or scarcity. It's, it's, it's a mindset. It's a belief system. You can believe that the world is for you or against you if life is happening to you or for you, um, as some say. So were you, were you someone, I, I don't, let me just, this is, I'm going to be vulnerable to you for a second. I grew up in an environment. My dad was forced out of his country. He was an Iranian man. My mom's American, grew up in a still mill town in uh, Western Pennsylvania. So hardcore scarcity mentality. My mom's mm. dad was a peasant from Italy. You know, her mom grew up in depression, United States. So I grew up in an environment where it was like super scarcity, like everything around me was scarcity. And I, and it took me, I don't know, I'm 45 years old. It took me 44 years to untangle that. Right. Mm -hmm. so last year was when I kind of flipped the switch to getting away from it. It's still a struggle sometimes for you. Was it something where you were like, pickled in, in scarcity and then overcame it? Or were you someone that just naturally an abundant type of thinker? No, it was. So my, so both my parents, my parents would tell my sister and I all the time, we were so poor growing up, even the poor thought we were poor. And my dad, um, the little house he grew up in, I used to, I used to stay with, go stay with my grandparents when I was, you know, younger, pretend. And they had no no running water. We had an odd house out in the middle of the grove of trees out back. And five kids grew up in this this itty bitty. When I I mean, it probably is like five, five maybe five hundred square feet, four hundred fifty square feet with no wow. running water. And and he, my dad, even to this day, if you sit down to eat with him, Darius, he eats so fast. And I go, Dad, like slow down a little bit, because he's they. There was only so much food that went on. And as fast as they could eat it, 
they would clear the food because they were hungry all the time. And my mom grew up in Ohio, same thing. So no, we lived, and my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. So we totally lived in this. And up until literally when I was 50 years of age, this was like, uh, I was so unhappy when I, when, when I got to 50, because I'm like, I viewed my life up to 50 as preparing for life after 50. I told myself, mm. I'm going to really go for it after that. My mom passed away. I'd done lots of therapy. You know, I was driven financially. To, I kept thinking the next thing, the next number was going to make me happy. And pretty soon I realized that that wasn't true. And I was going to have to change something deep inside of me because no matter how good it was, I was waiting for this house of cards to come fucking tumbling down. And I was a fraud and I didn't deserve it. And it was, you know, and I finally met a gentleman who's also from Iran. His name's Karosh. Um, I call him my cosmic father because he truly gave me joy. And I spent a whole week out in Venice, California with him. And at the end of it, I was like, man, I've got I've got ways of of thinking about my life entirely. He's still to this day a good friend of mine. We talk all the time. He comes to Nebraska six, seven times a year. We hang out. We have a healing ranch just north of here where we we help people like myself make that conversion out of that operating system. And um, and then, boy, when the when the switch flipped, two things happened. One. I felt my favorite, it was growing up as a kid, my favorite day was Christmas Eve. I, I was, my sister and I would lay in bed. We wouldn't sleep the whole night and Santa Claus was coming. That's the happiest I can ever remember being as a kid. And I truly feel like I'm a nine-year-old on Christmas Eve almost every day of my life. I mean, love my life that much. My life loves me, loves me back. But it was, it was really after, after making that switch. And here's the other thing. I mean, financially, I was doing well, but opportunity just accelerated in people, connections, people wanting to do business with us that I used to have to go after hard and really sell hard to get. Now, people are just opting in you know, to what we're doing. And so not only do I enjoy life more, business is accelerating at a much faster pace than ever in my life. Do you, do you think that it, it's, I mean, obviously... There was a shift in, you know, you, right? And yeah. and and this happened, you know, a few years ago, as you mentioned. And what do you think, like, because I've had the same shift, personally. Mine, mine, mine happened a little bit earlier. It happened at uh, 43, 44. Um, same idea, though. Like, like, I was like, I had the, everything you just said. Like, I, I did a podcast on it. I called the world's biggest lie. If when FX happens, why I will be happy, right? Mm. If that, if thens, right? And, and, yeah. then, and the number just keeps going up. And you're like, when I exit or when I sell this or when I have X yeah. amount of dollars, <laughs> then all of a sudden I'm going to be X. I'm going to be the happy, whatever you want to name, fill in the blank. Um, and, and for me, what, what did it for me was I exited my business and I had this payday and then, and I was a pretty anxious person before that financially, if, if, even though any logical person would have looked at my balance sheet and been like, are you like out of your mind? Right. And so then I had the exit, which is like what I had told, told myself I would, when that happened, then I could start to live my life. And then a year later, I was like more anxious than I'd ever been before. <laughs> and I had this moment where I was like, I'm either going to live the rest of my fucking life miserable because nothing's going to make me happy or, or I got to fix this. Like it's got, this guy's got to change because I can't escape me, you know? And, and, uh, you know, I did some work with, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza and like, and, uh, a bunch of, bunch of stuff. Right. But, uh, but I had, a, I had kind of this God moment where I was like, all right, man, like do me, with me what you will. And then to your point though, after that, like life, I don't know. I just, my shoulder just kind of loosened. I was like, all right, like I'm good. And like the world's not out to get me. I'm I'm here to like, I'm here to just provide value to the world and we'll see what happens. You know, for you, is it, is, has it been something like that? Like, tell us a little more about that. I'd love to hear it. This is my yeah. story. I want to hear yours. So there was a, I had read, it was in the mid nineties at some point. I read this article about this guy who had sold his business for $2 billion. And he, the whole article was about how miserable he was. Like he was miserable <laughs> before, but he's really miserable now because he's what little bit of, joy he had was around his business and the people in it. And all of a sudden that was gone. 
And and so that really got to me to thinking. It's like if this person, you know, had that kind of kind of exit, there is no number that's that's going to truly make you happy. And fortunately, I got friends that know the drill sergeant Ron that worked all the time, and now the you know the the Omani version of that same human, and how much the you know I'm relaxed. I take time for family. You know, I've got my grandson home with me today. You know, we're we're just it's just a pace of life that is really, really fun. And even in our community, I built this community of people that um, up at our ranch. It's we call it the healing ranch. It's it's where I grew up. I'm still in farming, by the way. So Jenny and I are still very much uh, she's a farm girl as well. Uh, and we have these living principles, you know, like um, uh, you know, self-sovereignty. Uh, be curious, um, really make time to have to, to play, have fun and play. We think that's such a vital part of being human and being alive. I think I had lost all of that. I was, I was a curious person, but I didn't ever have any fun. I certainly didn't any ever, ever play. And so it was, it was really a mindset set shift. And without, I did psychedelic therapy. Now, I know this could probably be a little controversial, but um, psychedelic therapy is, uh, is going to be one of the, I think it's going to transform consciousness on our planet, yeah. uh, in such a beautiful way. I think a lot of people miss, I did, I remember doing a paper on psychedelics when I was in high school and it's like, oh, it's going to make you go crazy. That's not true. Um, there, you know, uh, MDMA is good. It's just went through phase three trials. Uh, I, I'm, positive, it's going to be a really powerful healing therapy for everybody. By this time next year, the VA is already doing studies. I'm friends with the doctor running the study here in Omaha for the VA with psilocybin, which is people know as mushrooms. And people did this stuff like in the 60s, and they did it in a party. I'm talking about a deep therapeutic kind of um, process where there's prep work and there's post integration and there's a lot of support around this without without psychedelics without my psychedelic therapy I could have never settled down long enough to have this happen oddly enough I'm going to go back to Karosh at the end of that week his deal he made with me is I'll spend all this time with you but when you come out here, I want you to unplug I don't want you on your phone I don't want you doing business you can walk, you can get massages, you're going to be meeting with me, but that's it. And so I consumed all kinds of, I just walked everywhere you can imagine down there when I wasn't with Karoj on audiobooks. And literally I was getting ready. I'm actually a pilot. I was getting ready. I was filing my flight plan to fly back to Omaha. And I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for him to come back in the room. And I go, oh, I got one more question I want to ask him. I said, hey, Karoj. I said, um, uh, do you know anything about psychedelics? And goes, I do. What would you like to know? And I said, well, am I a candidate to do some of this based on the week we spent together? And he said, absolutely. And I'm thinking, where was this all week? I mean, why am I bringing this up to you as I'm getting ready to walk out of your office, right? He said, listen, this medicine will call you when it's ready for you. The fact you ask for it means, and then, Quite a few months went by. He referred me to another doctor that was operating underground to do this work. Um, and by the way, the same doctor today is, you know, he's an amazing family friend. And, you know, my spouse and my kids have gone through this process because, you know, some of the same stuff that ailed, that plagued me, I transferred to them. Just you do it genetically and you also do it through your actions. And so this is, you know, Karosh was a big piece of it. But then my psychedelic therapy was another, being able to um, become spiritual. My parents were atheists uh, growing up. I had no spiritual belief. And my very first experience, I came out of it going, there's something beyond just, there's something out there. There's a God, there's a source, there's whatever your your mm-hmm. belief is. And the more work I've done, I've gone from from believing to knowing. I mean, I have absolutely no question about where we go. Um, there might be someone as spiritual as me, but uh, it, but no more. I mean, I I am all in. I mean, I am one hundred percent believer, and the power that gave me 
to enjoy my life knowing that this is merely a speck of time relative to you know our souls our souls journey yeah i love that man um gosh we could do a whole um show on <laughs> oh yeah on, on i this. could go hours on this I yeah because i you can imagine i dig in and i've gone to Mexico and trained with the Siri tribe all with Bufo. I, you know, I have, I'm going to the Amazon um, to sit with uh, um, the Seiko Pai who have there. We're going to sit with medicine that's been in their, their um, tribe for over a thousand years. It's not, it's just, these are just plants from the Amazon that we're going to experience. And it's really been a profound, and I've met some of the most beautiful, coolest, um friendships you know through this journey as well yeah it's it's really interesting i'm i'm i've um you know like a lot of people when they're younger you you get this perspective around those types of things because they're not done i guess as a ceremony or in the form of medicine right they're 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 done as party or you know right. the, they're done to party right you're 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 yeah. people smoke weed or do whatever all, all oh, and there's things. all kinds of shit mixed in with it too i mean there's the yeah. fentanyl and the, this is not what i'm talking about i'm talking no. about a, a medical supervised i just met with a lady um she's from omaha she runs a clinic in cancun and it's a boga. Have you heard of a boga before? No. Curious? It's an no. African root. Um, here's the here's the thing. Do some research on this because she's actually working with the state of Kentucky for the opiate abatement settlement that um, and they they just appropriated forty two million for ibogaine or a boga treatment. Uh, ibogaine slash a boga is just as it's the same plant, different alkaloids. Has a ninety seven percent cure rate for any addiction, heroin alcoholism, where in the U.S. we treat people with methadone, which has a very poor success rate, and you have to be on it forever. A, uh, Ibogaine or aboga treatments have a huge success rate one time. Um, and she was a heroin addict. She was an alcoholic and never had the desire again. And you don't have to take anything, you know, after that. You know, you literally, it, it interrupts a the withdrawal symptoms. And I just feel like if you looked at, there's a documentary on, or there's a movie called Painkillers. It's about the Oxycontin. I don't know yeah, if you watched it or not. I saw that. That compound. I mean, this is where, you know, the FDA was paid off. There was, there's, you follow the money because if we didn't follow the money, a lot of these plants that have been around for million, thousands, they've been used for tens of thousands of years, been around since the inception of time. No one can patent, and that way there's no interest, and we've got the big pharma fighting us on every front, i.e. methadone versus ibogaine, for a true, a true cure. I didn't used to be, and I don't believe, didn't used to believe in conspiracy theories, but it's hard not to when you really get into the meat of some of the bullshit that's going on you know, in our world today, and this is one of them. Yeah. This is uh, wow! I, I I knew we'd go down some rabbit holes. I'm glad we're going down this one. Um, so you know, I want to take a step back because I think that something you said was really interesting. You 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 ended up in this world where you were sounded like you know you're grinding, right? Just like grinding and not doing it in a way that felt joyful. At least, and, and those that's my interpretation. I don't know if you uh, nailed it. I mean, right. Let me give you an example. We just came through the holidays. I was grinding so hard. I'd be up in the morning. I'd normally get to the office around, you know, 5 a.m. And I would get up and work out before I went into the office. I'd get home between 9 and 10 o'clock at night. Wow. My kids, my Ch Chelsea, who's my oldest today, but first 10, 12 years of her life, I mean, I hardly ever saw her. And I was so exhausted. I remember on Christmas Eve, like no one else was working. I would pass out. I was so freaking tired all the time. That I couldn't even show up and be there for my family. I would always tell my wife, Jeannie, who's like an absolute saint. It's like, oh, I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for this. I'm doing it so we don't have to ever be poor, which was a lie. I knew it was a lie when I was saying it because we had more money than we were ever going to spend. But I was so afraid of not being busy all the time because when I paused, then I got to look inside myself going, I don't like me. You know, I don't, mm. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not, you know, whatever the story is that, 
that I had carried for whatever reason. My father was very abusive to me and my mom. And so I had all, I, had, I was sexually traumatized by my, um, a relative when I was six years old. So I think all of that kind of piled up and allowed me to feel like I just wasn't a, wasn't a worthy, a worthy human being. So I just worked all the time. That was my addiction. You know, the work was to cover the feelings around feeling because I didn't want to feel. I just wanted to be busy and exhausted all the time. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, like I had, I, I have. Oh God, we have so much overlap. But um, like you just told me, part of my life back to me. But this idea around being addicted to a distraction, right? And and for me, it took leaving my business, being stuck in my house with COVID with nothing to do because I didn't have a business to distract me, and and figuring out the next thing to distract me and then being unhappy again and and seeing this like and having enough space i started doing a lot of meditation then so i started building up that muscle around uh, reaction and then i started seeing it and then i started to you know i actually did a little bit of the medicine work you're talking about mm. and it came out during a journey and i was like whoa like when the, what came out of my journey was hungry ghost showed up and one of my yeah. and one of my friends one of my closest friends was like i'm talking to your hungry ghost right now and it was this thing where like nothing would feed me enough to make me full right and um but i say all that because my question for you is some people might have listened to what you just said and and obviously like objectively in in a world that measures success based off of financial success right people would look at yourself or me and be like, those guys are successful people, right? Right. Like uh, that's an objective statement, depending on who you're comparing us to compare us against Elon Musk. We're poor. If you compare us against, <laughs> right. you know, the average person, we're like doing pretty good. Right. Um, but someone that's listening to this, they might say, Oh yeah, see, I shouldn't have to, I, like, I don't want to have to work hard. Right. Like, like those guys, they're, they're saying that I should, you know, enjoy life and I should, you know, I should have, you know, balance and all this stuff. Right. Like that's, that, that's what I'm hearing from them. But I yeah. think there's something that's missing from that. And I, I want, I'm really curious what your thoughts are around having a, is there, is there ever a time where there a season for grinding makes sense? knowing that you need to also have an awareness around balance. Yeah, no, you bring up a really important point here is I want to, I want to redefine it though. Like to when I hear a grind, I hear, I think that me, my, the connotation to that is I'm doing something I absolutely hate doing, but I got to do it because it's going to make me better and stronger. That's a myth. It truly is a myth. Let's come back to Gallup Strength Finders, man. Let's find what you, and my three kids, uh, all of them are have been very successful. And all along, I said, do what you love. Do what you love. I'm not saying, listen, I'm passionate. I still get up at wee hours in the morning and I'm up late, but I'm doing things I love to do. I mean, love to do. And that's where I think the mismatch is, Darius, is, People feel like, they, oh, I got to pay dues. And I wrote a book called Sustainable Edge. And the whole idea around the Sustainable Edge was balance leads to growth and growth leads to balance. And it's a virtuous, positive cycle and you need to feed them. Don't confuse this with being a lazy ass, sitting on the couch, eating chips every day, watching, binging Netflix. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about living your life with intention. Every we talked about whether it's a heroin addict or a workaholic, they're covering up because they haven't found their real deep purpose. As human beings, we are ascending to where we have purpose and doing purposeful work will not feel like a grind, but not to be confused with not putting a lot of energy into it. Yeah, man, I love that. And I appreciate what you just said, because I, cause I uh, it's it's and I think it's hard, right? Because I think sometimes when we're. I think passionate about things, at least for me, I'll speak for myself right now. I'll get really overly passionate and I'll start grinding because it's like, I, it's an, it's a, I've built that muscle up. That muscle is, is fucking strong, dude. Yeah. And, it, and it goes quick and it's like, let's go time, baby. And yeah. then, and, and then I've, and then I'm like, shit, man, I just worked like 14 hours days, like for the last three weeks in a row. And, and, and then it's, and I get a little burnt out. And usually that's my like signal to slow down. Um, I started doing transcendental meditation last year Ooh, and I have a, a coach. I love it. Yeah. And she's, and my TM coach is like, she's like, pay attention to what happens during your meditations. And if you're, if you fall asleep during your meditations, that means you're not well rested. 
and, 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 and it's just something to be aware of, right? Just having an awareness and my conscious capitalist mentor says with awareness comes choice and with choice comes responsibility. So then I make that response, that, that responsible choice to, Hey, do I need to pull back? Do I need to rest? Uh, because I want to, I, I want to be able to show up for more game time. You know, you know what I mean? Like the stuff you're talking about. Like sleep. One of the things I prioritize in my life now for the last 10 years is getting the best. There's a book from, it's called Power Sleep, Dr. Moss from uh, Columbia University. It's like the Bible for me. How do you get into a deep therapeutic REM, deep cycle sleep? Because it's, he said, three things are going to drive your health, diet, exercise, and sleep. And he says, sleep is twice as important as the other two combined. And he goes, the ir- irony is people would get, and I used to, I'd get up early and deprive myself of sleep to go work out. Well, shit, I like sleeping a lot more than I like working out. Yeah. And the sleep is way better for me than working out. What's the name of that book again? Power Sleep. Dr. Right. Ma- M-A-A-S. I've, I've been having, so I was, we were talking earlier that I just started a new business. And so I've been, I've been, and I've been up, I started waking up early, like even in, no matter what time I go to bed, I'm waking up at four or five in the morning, which I'm normally like a, actually I can wake up anytime, but I'm an eight hour guy sleep, sleep person. And suddenly I became a five or six hour sleep person. And mm-hmm. like, I'm not even anxious. It's just like subtle, like little, I think that my, uh, that my hormones are jacked up from like the excitement. Right. And, um, you know, one thing I started doing over this Christmas and I, I've been struggling with this. I've been talking to my friends. I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm like I'm not sleeping as much. I'm tired. And, um, I started doing saunas, right? These I started mm. doing dry sauna every day. And so, I mean, like I did it over Christmas break and I, and last yesterday I did it for 30 minutes and then I went and ran and then I, and I slept like a freaking baby, man. Like that. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that, that's, that's helped a lot. For me. Can I share three quick biohacks that I love? Because yeah, it's, yeah. Because so I have a sauna or infrared and red light therapy. If, if you've not done red light, Mm-mm. it's powerful. You can put, it's an attachment you can put in the sauna. It will just your psyche, your mood, your general state of health. Also, I do Rasha. There's a Rasha machine. It's spelled R-A-S-H-A. It really puts your mind for um, meditation and really deep levels of, of consciousness work. And then there's a, a company out of um, Reno. This Dr. North is called a shift wave machine. And I have mm. one at the Carson Group. I have one up at our healing ranch. And it's really vibrational. And all three of these can add so much energy and restorative benefits to your life. Mm. That, you know, we call them biohacks, but they're out there for a reason. I mean, you just talked about the infrared sauna. Slowing down to speed up. You know, sometimes just taking care of being selfish to be selfless. Let's take care of ourselves first so we have unlimited energy that we can share with others versus how we I used to do it. I depleted myself so bad. I had nothing for me and I had nothing for anybody else. And so t- putting time, scheduling time in your day to take care of the golden goose is really important here. I love that. Omani, man, where you been my whole life, man? <laughs> got to hang out. I love this. This hey, is I like love a to hang out and I love for you. I did this gathering this year in October. We had 324 people from all over the world come to the ranch for four days. It's October this next year. I'd love to have you as my guest. Come and just meet. you'll meet some of the most incredible, incredible people in the world. Deepak Chopra will be there. Rick Doblin will be there. Uh, Chris Bosch will be there. We have, some, we have amazing music. We'll have 11 different acts playing. So you have an invite to come all and right. Experience that. I'm taking you up on it. You're going to see me. Yeah, in, right. in, 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 we don't <laughs> see each other before. I have a quick question and I want to go to the yeah. greatness question with you. Do you know Jay Wilkinson in Lincoln, Nebraska? Jay and I were just uh, communicating about a half hour before we got on because I'm speaking at his conference this yeah. year. All right. But yeah, so, Jay is like, he's, he's a brother. For he's, sure, he's, he's a brother of mine as well. Oh, so he, he and I, uh, I are, are, are part of a of, of a entrepreneurs group out of uh, MIT called Gathering of Titans. I just saw him. Gosh, I just saw him a few weeks ago at Stegen. But yeah, like he and I had a great conversation last year. Anyway, he's a friend. He's a yeah, former well, guest. He of the was show. at the gathering this year, and he'll be there next year. Him and his wife Tanya uh, brought their RV, which we also are burners. We go to Burning Man. I don't know if you're a burner or not. I'm not, but but, uh, but I'm a San Francisco guy. Like, I'm, you want to be. You want to yeah, come yeah, to Burning yeah. Man. <laughs> it's on my list. I, I, so I lived in San Francisco for 17 years, and I moved to Austin about seven years ago. Um, and everyone, I, I mean, San Francisco, it's where Burning Man started, right? So everyone, yeah, there's a... It's awesome. My, my, my wife wasn't into it, so we never went. But I have a lot of friends that are involved. So, so maybe well, there the as well. the gathering would be a good in-between. 
It's because okay. it's we, we we have lodging and food, everything set up for you. We're burn you know, on the playa. You've got to fend for yourself. You know, yeah, can, yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Anyway, I, I was like, I'm like, I bet you Omani knows Jay. Yeah, and I do. So you're talking about we. He, a lot of the conversation we're having, he and I have had the same conversation. So, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's we got to get this wrapped up. I want to respect yeah. the time. Um, so we have the greatness question. I would love I'd love it if you could answer it and just a question. I'm going to ask it and then you can give us your answer and then. I'll okay. get you on your way, Omani. I appreciate your time yes. today. So what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life? And how did you overcome it? Surrounding myself with the best people I could find versus trying to get a bargain. It really stemmed from that scarcity mindset. When you shift your operating system to love and abundance, everything will show up like you can't believe. I just recently, someone recommended a book called The Go-Giver, which is mm. five basic principles, which these are things I were operating on before I even knew the book existed. It is so true. It works. And I also want to mention to your listeners, I'm the only social media I do is LinkedIn. I put out a two-minute video every week on all of these different topics, whether it's biohacks, productivity systems, and interested, love to have you follow me on LinkedIn. Omani, so much gratitude from here at the Greatness uh, Machine. Man, I'm so thankful to have gotten to meet you and to spend time with you. I'm so appreciative for all the positive energy and greatness you're bringing to this world. So thank you so much for being on here today. Thank you for having me, Darius. Thank you. Uh, so you guys, you heard it here first. Go follow Omani on LinkedIn. We'll put all the links uh, for the Carson Group, Omani, for your LinkedIn profile. And go follow him. Like, you got some great content going on on LinkedIn. And uh, man... Amani, thank you for all your goodness and amazingness. And until next time, peace out. We love you, everybody. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.